This is NAB Show Live. Welcome back to our second panel at the NAB Show Live, produced by Broadcast Speed. I'm joined by my co-host, Pupul Bisht, who is a designer and futures, excuse me. Um, we have some exciting panelists with us today. Uh, we're going to be continuing our conversation on the future of storytelling. And let's get them introduced first, actually. So we are joined by Matt Rowell, uh, Samantha Chen, and Lillian Diaz-Brisbane. Good job. I, I got that right, yes. yes. <laughs> yes so why don't you start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so um, I work with 360 Labs. We're a production company. We make VR content, immersive content mostly for brands, for advertising and marketing, but we also make a lot of our own films as well in-house. We specialize in documentary. We love to work on environmental films. We love to work on films that celebrate diversity. Um, and we really get a lot of opportunity to create those passion projects that we love. Um, we're in love with Immersive and 360, hence our name, 360 Labs. So um, everything we think about, we think about as a sphere and getting people, more people into VR headsets um, and having those experiential moments. Exciting. Well, I'm Samantha Chang, and I produce traditional documentaries. They're long-form programs, and I come from the journalist background, so I take short-form ethics and use them in long-form nonfiction work. Wonderful. Uh, I'm Lillian Diaz-Prisbal. I'm a producer at ButcherBird Studios, and ButcherBird is a small company that does a lot of different things, but we specialize in the intersection of technology and storytelling. So whether it's industrials for the aerospace industry or whether it's live-streamed narrative science fiction, um, what we're really interested in is using the latest and greatest tools to help us tell interesting, innovative, and relevant emotional content. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us for this panel. Thank you. So, Popo, let's jump into it right away. Yeah. So, Ninad, I would actually love to start our panel on a similar note as we did on Monday, which is by talking about storytelling, because that's really at the core of our topic today. So, it is a technique that's definitely stood the test of time. And as we've seen at the NAB show, the future of storytelling also seems to be really promising and bright. So, I want to hear from all of you. What do you think, in your experience, makes storytelling so timely? I think no matter what the format, um, we always kind of go back to this idea of sort of being around a fire and, and knowing those, that's the way stories were told a long time ago. And when you think about even immersive content that we make, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's just all about that story. It's about experiencing that. And regardless of whether you're watching it on a TV or a mobile phone or in a VR headset, um, understanding and learning about a person or a culture or something that you didn't know before is mm -hmm. just really powerful and it's awesome that we have so much great technology today to take advantage of that. Awesome. Amazing. For me, the future storytelling is providing an opportunity to understand our present and our past so we can understand our future mm -hmm. and protect our future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. The elevator speech. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think all of this is, is terrific. It's really that there's something primordial in our ability to communicate with each other. And we've always 
learned about the world and learned about other people and learned about experiences through storytelling. And that's just never going to go away. Mm -hmm. So we just Amazing. found new ways to convey that. Yeah. Samantha, I'd like to uh, move forward by asking you a very specific question. I think you're doing some incredible work, especially with telling stories that have been typically left out of the mainstream narrative. So I want to know more from you, what motivated you to tell these stories and what continues to motivate you to work in this area? Well, I can't change what I look like <laughs> and I like to know stories or learn about stories that have people who look like me in them. Right. And sadly, documentary work is not sexy. Mm -hmm. Historical work is not sexy. But I feel that I have a skill set that can allow me to facilitate a story that has not been told and that needs to be told. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though some of my work is very boring, mm -hmm. <laughs> on the face level, the context of the story is critical in its time. Because in the United States, we are all Americans. We contribute to the American history. It's critical that we understand we are a country of immigrants. We're not just white privileged males. Everyone has a story and it needs to be recorded. Because if we rely on other people to tell our story, we cannot complain. Mm -hmm. So that's what motivates me. I don't want my grandchildren to not know because people didn't want to tell that story or capture that story. It wasn't sexy. So let's talk th about that more. What can the future or the future generations learn from the telling of these marginalized histories? Well, they can learn that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. That even though they may look differently, speak differently, sound different, we're all the same tribe. Mm -hmm. And we all have similar experiences. We just call them differently. We speak to a different being, right. that higher being. But it's the same being all around. And as we globalize in, a, in our commerce, mm -hmm. we learn that everyone is the same. We just little bit different. Yes. I think even more than that, I think there's the idea that there have been a lot of unsung and unappreciated contributions to history um, because stories have traditionally been told sort of on the large scale by white men, um, all of the women and people of color who have contributed to the progress of history haven't been recognized. And so it's acknowledging that every people of every color of every gender have something to contribute and something really important. Um, it's not just the people on the top who are making the world go around, it's everybody. And I just want to interject with a very interesting fact. So it's the 160th anniversary of the uh, railroads meeting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in Promontory Point mm -hmm. in Utah. The first photograph that depicted the action of these two trains connecting were all white, except the Chinese built the railroad. Right. So I have a team of colleagues who are like, we built this railroad, yeah. we want our place in history. Mm -hmm. And they reenacted a photo very similar to the one that was used publicly by the two railroads meeting, 
and they're taking control of their narrative. And that's very important. Absolutely. We need to empower mm -hmm. everyone in this world that you can tell your own story. Mm -hmm. We have the tools and technology that allow us to do that now. Mm -hmm. Shame on us if we don't. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was such a wonderful answer. Thank you very much. Um, moving to you, Matt, I have a very specific question. You're doing a lot of amazing work in the immersive storytelling space. Thank you. And uh, you're using a lot of 360 technologies. Uh, of course, it's a very sort of tech-focused space where you start with technology first, right? How 360s work, how 180-degree stitching works, all of that. But despite all of that, you have a lot of focus. It seems like you have a lot of work being done towards message-driven uh, pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So my, for example, you have one piece that you're doing which, is, um, which advocates protection of natural wonders, right? Um, I believe the question that you've posed for that particular question is, can we save the Grand Canyon using VR? Mm -hmm. uh, so my question to you is, does the medium of immersive storytelling hold a big advantage in delivering such messages over traditional film? And if, if so, how? I think in many ways um, the biggest advantage we have kind of goes back to also talking about how we remember history. Because we can now shoot in 360, we can tell a story and show everything that's happening. Um, it's a very truthy medium. It's not, you can't really hide from that camera. When we take someone to the Grand Canyon to show them the confluence and to, to tell them they were going to build this massive gondola here, um, that really just kind of hits home with a lot of people because when they can't visualize it, they really don't know what could be lost. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think the ability to, to take people and transport them to a location and insert them in that and, and or with people and actually feel what it's like to, to be in their shoes or to mm -hmm. be in their community uh, is a huge advantage to uh, immersive. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's not the end all be all. Of course, there's always going to be traditional broadcast, Absolutely. and in many ways, they kind of go hand in hand and they help each other out. Yeah. And just as a quick extension to that question, is are there any trade offs to sort of, you know, how, do, how are the audiences going to see immersive storytelling? How are they going to experience these things? As a content creator myself, I often ask myself that question. I've built a VR piece. How is my audience going to see it? How, like, as far as distribution? Distribution, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It's actually getting a lot better than it used to be. Uh, yeah. When we first started uh, five years ago, there, we didn't even have YouTube 360 back yeah. then. And we would tell our clients about how amazing 360 video was, but that's great, where can I actually show it? Mm -hmm. uh, but finally, today, five years later, for the first time, we're at a place where we have an actual, uh, the audience for VR headset wearers mm -hmm. is actually more okay. than the traditional desktop and mobile phone users for the first time ever. We're starting to see that those numbers are trending. So I think that with the audience growing, with uh, tools like the Oculus Go, mm -hmm. um, we're definitely getting a much better platform and a much bigger audience to share our stories with. Thank you. Amazing. Very exciting. Lillian, I want to bring you in over here. Sure. Um, you work with live media a lot, and your company, your studio, is really pushing the envelope of how we tell stories. What I would love to learn from you is what your process as a content creator look like. Um, and what I'm really getting at is that in your work, do you think content follows form, or does the form follow content? So as an innovative content creator, are you thinking about mediums you're excited about and trying to fit narrative to that? Or are you thinking about the stories you want to tell and then looking out for new mediums that can help you deliver those stories better? 
Um, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, so the science fiction project we did last fall um, was eight episodes, live streamed narrative content with an interactive feature so the audience could vote on story points. There was an interactive chat feed that was going along. Um, and that really added a certain layer to a story that we already had pretty well planned out. Mm -hmm. So my colleague Stephen Calcote had written these eight episodes about a year and a half in advance of that and had this really fun, exciting, compelling science fiction adventure he wanted to tell. But in sort of the, the glut of content that's out there right now, we were trying to figure out what's going to make this different, what's going to make this special. And our company had been kind of experimenting in the live space at that point, and it seemed like something we could achieve on our own, mm -hmm. um, that we had the resources and the capabilities to essentially shoot this live over the eight weeks. And we ended up partnering with Legendary Digital on it, which was a great boon. It, it made the production just so much more special and exciting. And that's really where the interactive content, our component, came in. Mm -hmm. So we started with something that could have essentially just been a Netflix series or done in a pretty standard platform. The way that it made sense for us to do it on our own was to do it live. And then the way it made sense for us to get additional funding was to do it interactive. Um, oh. And so it kind of built on that. Mm -hmm. um, and what was compelling to Legendary about it, the reason why they wanted to work with us, really went back to the heart of the story itself. And it was the narrative that Steven had built, it was the world that he'd created, it was the characters that he wanted the audience to spend time with, were all things that checked off boxes on what Legendary was looking to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It had a really hard science fiction edge, we were really working with plausible technology, with good science, which were things that appealed to their audience that were pretty tech savvy and, and cared about the details of how the world worked. Um, but it also had an interesting relationship between the two main characters. It was a story where we were very much wanting to emphasize diversity and uh, uh, a kind of progressive and positive look at the future. So even though it's a world that's sort of run down and beat up around the edges, it's essentially a hopeful story of human ingenuity and overcoming challenges. Amazing. Yeah, and that appealed to their audience on sort of that level as well of uh, just a really positive look at what the future could be. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. incredible. So we're pretty much ending to in our first half now, so we're going to come back to all these wonderful conversations. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for joining us for the first half. Please continue to join us in five minutes <laughs> for the future of storytelling.